We wrap up the Jefferson Exchange with us as we are. Over 50 years after the original Earth Day, and we're still celebrating. We'll look back at Earth Day in the Rogue Valley in the latest chapter of Us As We Are. Host Keegan Van Hook of Southern Oregon PBS also visits the Gem and Mineral Show in Grants Pass, which happened the last weekend of April. We meet rock enthusiasts and learn about their fascination with rocks and all things rock-related. Hi there, folks. I'm Keegan Van Hook, and this is Us As We Are. Today, I'm going to share conversations I had at two different events I attended to produce segments for my next Us As We Are episode on SOPBS. Recently, I had the opportunity to attend the Rogue Earth Day celebration on the SOU farm and talk with locals about how to make life in the Rogue Valley more sustainable. But first, I want to wind my tapes back to March, where I got to learn about the rockhounding and lapidary arts community at the 67th annual Roxanne Gem and Mineral Show. Hi, I'm Shauna Zimmerman. I am president of the Roxanne Gem and Mineral Society. We are here at the 67th annual Roxanne Gem and Mineral Show. So I'm Richard Calkins. I am the vendor chair and the show chair. Do a lot of rockhounding when the season is right. They look for petrified wood, they look for obsidian, they look for agate. The show floor where the convention took place at the Jackson County Expo was utterly packed with booths, most of them sporting impressive earthen artifacts ranging from fossilized remains to massive geodes full of vibrantly colored crystals. 35 vendors in our show, anything and everything you could think of in the rock specimens, from crystals to geodes to amethyst, petrified wood, obsidian. My name is David Katsky. Uh, I'm a member of Roxanne Gem and Mineral Society. What I'm doing right here is called cabochon cutting. For people that don't know, a cabochon is a type of gem cut where you have, you know, faceted gems, you have uh, pear shape and things like that. Cabochons are defined by their rounded dome shapes. David is sitting before an array of spinning grindstone wheels. The sound you hear in the background is a spigot shooting water onto the wheels to keep them cool and running smooth. Six wheels, three of them are my shaping or grinding wheels, and three of them are my polishing wheels. So I'll take a stone like this, this is a, an agate, and I'll just begin to kind of shape it along, move it, and what I'm doing is I'm taking this and rounding the edges down, then I'll move it to this stone here, and just successively go on down the line. Okay, my name is Gary Yeoman. I run Flint Epping Arts, etc. I'm with Crater Rock Museum. I'm one of the instructors there, and I also sell in the gift shop. I have a, a space as one of the artisans. In front of Gary at his booth is a set of knives, mainly obsidian blades, with some very cool handles made out of things like jade, antler, and even the core of a cactus. Making obsidian knives is a blood sport. You will get hurt. The chips, the flakes that come off of this are 10 times sharper than a scalpel. I use a leather palm pad and a leather glove and it'll go right to the bone through it like it's not even there. Okay, so it's not recommended for everybody to go home and try this. Okay, my name is Jacqueline Iamnok. I go by B. I have been a jeweler now for almost 16 years and been doing a lot of uh, carvings, um, stone settings, fabrication work. B gets out two stones which look to be the pendants for necklaces. One is orange and the other blue. Both brilliantly reflect the light. This is Oregon sunstone. This is the Oregon State gemstone. This is found in southeastern Oregon. 
A piece like these took me about 12 hours to carve. So a softer material, easier to carve for a beginner. This is a perfect material to start with. This is an aquamarine that I have been working on for the past four years. I already spent more than 800 hours on it. It's all done by hand. So that's a harder material? That's why it takes 800 hours? Yes. Hey, hi, I'm Charles Rogers, and uh, I'm here at the Roxy Ann Gem and Mineral Show, and I do carving. What I'm demonstrating here is actually wax carving, and I carve the wax, and then I use those carvings to cast silver pieces from the wax. Charles is wearing an example of the intricacy wax carving can yield. Little pens depicting different creatures found in nature are rendered down to fur-level detail. And it really makes a nice pin. I wear them as, as pins. Here's a butterfly pin here I made. And I can also make a, a fox here. I made a little fox pin. So it's really kind of fun to be able to carve all these animals in wax and cast them in silver. So my name's Carly Litchfield. My family and I are, uh, have the Naughty Nautilus here. This is our whole entire setup here. Carly is manning one of the largest booths we found at the show, sporting bizarre yellow crystalline structures and ancient fossilized Nautilus shells. We go out to South Dakota in these dried up creek banks, and every year through natural erosion, we're gonna find new concretions that expose themselves to the banks. These concretions are basically giant geodes, and if there was any voids on the inside of them, it gives the room for crystals to actually grow. And so if there was any amount of space in there all of their yellow calcite and golden barite is going to be found inside of them so at the center of all of these concretions began with the fossilization process of cretaceous cephalopods from the ammonites the baculites we have big placentisaurus and even last year we found some mosasaur skulls so lots to be found and discovered out there with so much fascinating stuff to be seen so readily i was impressed by the community surrounding this set of hobbies and careers I had to ask Shauna Zimmerman. 67 years of this show, where did this begin? What's the origin story for the Gym and Mineral Society? Way back uh, in the time of a gentleman named Delmar Smith, he collected a lot of rocks in the area. Uh, he had a full garage and full house of uh, rocks and minerals and specimens that his wife kept tripping over and said that they need to be somewhere else. That was a little bit before the uh, first Gem and Mineral show. And then for you personally, how did rock hounding or an interest in gems and minerals, how did that set in? Well, surprisingly enough, my interest got uh, peaked when I was brought to a gem and mineral show about 10 years ago. And I walked around and I said, this is where I need to be. Here's Richard, Gary, Charles, David, and B again, telling me about how they found their way into rock hounding and lapidary. I got into this through my wife. Are you much of a rock hound yourself? Some. I find more of what they call leverites. Okay. So a leverite is just a rock that you leave right there on the ground. <laughs> you don't take it. It's just weighing you down. It's not any good for anything. The flint nappiness trial and error self-taught, the learning curve on that was horrible. The first year I did it, I was like ready to bail and give it up. It's like, I can't do this. It's just, it's too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I finally figured it out. I watched some of the other pros do it that we had in our museum. I'm kind of an environmentalist. I love the wildlife and the animals. And I decided, well, what can I do to kind of make uh, symbols that I can carry with me really easily? So I decided to start doing metalwork. Uh, I did some jewelry, made some rings, and set some stones. I've always been interested in geology and rocks since I was a kid. Eventually, once I joined the club, I started to learn how to do this. I moved to the United States in 2004, and so slowly, 
uh, many jewelry school, uh, some in Thailand where I'm from, and uh, a lot of the school here as well, like stone setting classes in New Mexico, fabrication at Revere Academy in San Francisco. Shows like this are an example of lapidary arts and what people can do. And as you can see in here, there's a huge variety of lapidary arts that go on. Let's go from exploration of the wonders found under the earth to discussion of how to preserve our quality of life here on the surface. On April 21st, I attended the Rogue Earth Day celebration at SOU. Hi, I'm Bex Walker and I'm the Director of Sustainability at Southern Oregon University. And today we are celebrating Earth Day in the Rogue Valley and we're currently at the farm um, on the campus of Southern Oregon University. The farm is in the north part of the SOU campus. Beneath the farm's sun-tracking solar panels, booths were erected by many local and regional organizations to excitedly share visions of a cleaner, greener future. Hi, I'm Katie, and I'm the director and organizer of Rogue Earth Day today. It's really about bringing the community together. All these people who all care about the earth into one spot so that we can all enjoy it together. And I think it's really important, especially after the pandemic, to bring all these people together. The Sustainability Center at SOU has been a really big help, and they are also one of our sponsors here today. Sustainability program at SOU is really exciting. So on campus, we have a number of initiatives progressing sustainability, including 100% um, of the electricity we use on campus to be generated by solar. We also offer majors in sustainability and environmental science and policy. Sustainability is maintaining resources for today and for future generations. That's what it's really about. We've just received a million dollars from Oregon Department of Energy where we're adding solar to the Hawk Dining Hall as well as Lithium Motors Pavilion. My name is Stephen Addington from Stracker Solar and these are our dual axis strackers. Stephen is pointing up to a large solar panel elevated on a pylon which is able to rotate and follow the sun. There are several of these at the SOU farm, and many more all over the region. If you get around in the Rogue Valley, you've definitely seen one. So tell me, what is a dual-axis stracker? Well, I bet everybody's familiar with rooftop solar, okay? So what dual-axis strackers do is they follow the sun. So these panels are 50 to 70% more efficient than a rooftop solar. You're familiar with TC Chevrolet down the hill. Uh, we did that. Um, Evergreen Federal Bank is going in next door, and so we're putting up four as we speak. And we work with um, larger businesses, cities. We did Franz Bakery out of White City. You're actually generating the energy locally. So then if you were on microgrids and smart grids, you're building resilience. Like if you're linking to battery storage, then you've got resilience in the event of a natural disaster or if something happens and um, you need that energy resilience. Go green, go solar. I mean, it is all about um, being a, a steward of the earth. Next to Stracker Solar's booth, RVTD was set up with a guy doing free bike tune-ups for anyone who came by with their bicycle. I'm Mike Vergeer. I'm with uh, RVTD and I work for uh, transportation options. And so what we're doing is trying to reduce obstacles for people to things like bicycling, active transportation, things like walking, taking the bus, of course, um, carpooling. So whatever it is that keeps people from trying these things more often, I'm trying to reduce obstacles. So today we're doing free bike tune-ups. Well, you know, bikes need love too, right? I mean, it, uh, they're, they're pretty amazing machines and uh, if you just give them just a little bit of love every now and again, they'll, they'll go a lot further with a lot less effort. So, you know, people are riding with underinflated tires and people are riding with their seats way too low and people are riding with their gears making all kinds of noise. So 
I'm here today just helping people out and getting these things tuned up beautifully. In the farm's parking lot, some kind of car showcase was happening, comprised entirely of electric vehicles. My name's Pete Jorgensen. I'm with Soheva, that's the Siskiyou and Oregon Hybrid and Electric Vehicle Association. Yeah, so what can you tell me about driving electric, uh, specifically here in the Rogue Valley? What's it like? It's very easy. People are afraid of electric cars, but it's if you get in it and drive it, it's just like driving any other car. The only thing you have to do is instead of going to a gas station, you plug it in. If you have a garage at home, you can plug it in at night, even to a 110 outlet and probably get 40 or 50 miles range built up overnight. And so if you're just commuting in the valley, that's all you really need to do. Yeah, I know one big concern a lot of people have with electric vehicles is that they won't be able to find a charger or that, you know, they'll want to go out somewhere that's really remote and then there won't be charging infrastructure. And, you know, we live in what some people consider a remote area. It's a bit of a rural zone. So do you find the infrastructure here to be good? What's your take on that? Well, for the Teslas like this one, it's it's extremely good. There's a Tesla's charging station being built right here in Ashland, uh, just out by the freeway. There's one already existing in Medford. There's one in Grants Pass. There's one in uh, Myrtle Creek. You can't go very far without there being an opportunity to charge. Are you enjoying Earth Day so far, th- oh, this event? Yeah, I always do. This, uh, this is something we need to do. And electric cars is a big part of making that happen. Here's Bex Walker again. I just think Earth Day is something where we can celebrate exactly in terms of making the world a better place and doing things differently, changing the systems. We have some challenges in front of us, and I think it brings hope and optimism. But I also don't think we should forget that we should be mindful of this every day and think about doing things a little bit differently as we try to build a different infrastructure that's far more sustainable for society, the environment, as well as the economy. And that's all I've got time for for today. But I encourage you to tune in tomorrow, Saturday, May 6th at 7 p.m. to watch my full episode of Us As We Are on Southern Oregon PBS. We'll have more conversation from the stories I presented here, as well as even more coverage from recent events in the Rogue Valley. Tune in or find us online at sopbs.org slash us as we are.